In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The, the last time that I, I preached, I start off by saying I, I didn't like my sermon. Um, this time I really like it. So, <laughs> um, if I get a tad enthusiastic, you'll have to excuse me. Um, Christ the King Sunday. I, I just love the sound of it. Christ the King It is quite a great name for a Sunday. Let's take the first word, Christ. We are so familiar with this word, and particularly with the designation Jesus Christ, that at times we say it without remembering what it means. The word Christ is not a name. It's a title. Some have quipped that we speak of Jesus Christ so easily that it at least sounds like we think Jesus Christ was born to Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. (laughs) Christ is not a name, it's a title. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word from which we get Messiah, anointed one. To say that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is to say that he was the long-awaited Davidic king, the one who would rule over the people of God with wisdom, the one who would bring God's shalom to the promised land, the one who would deliver his people from their enemies, and the one who would do all the wonderful and powerful and just things a king is supposed to do for his people. But if by the word Christ we mean something like the Jewish king, then our title for today's celebration sounds a bit redundant. The Jewish king, the king Sunday, or something like that. So what about the other key word? What about king? The Messiah, the Jewish king, was never meant to be king of Israel alone. A significant part of the hope and prayers of the Jewish people, particularly around the first century AD, was the belief that when God acted, when he acted to deliver his people through the anointed one, At that time, Israel's king would become king not of Israel alone, but of the whole world. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would be the world's one true king. This, then, is what today is all about. Today, we celebrate and we sing and we pray that the Jewish Messiah, the one who died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, has ascended into heaven and has taken his seat upon God's throne as the, as the world's one true Lord and King. Today, we announce, pray, celebrate, and sing together that Jesus is Lord, here, now, today, and forever. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is Lord and King. Listen again to the words of the Collect, Eternal Father, whose Son, Jesus Christ, ascended to the throne of heaven, that he might rule over all things as Lord and King. Keep the church in the unity of the Holy Spirit and in the bond of peace, and bring the whole created order to worship at his feet.
He is sitting on the throne. He rules over all things as Lord and King. The whole created order is being brought to worship at his feet. And we celebrate these great truths this morning. But there is one obvious objection. One obvious objection to our celebration in this type of theology. One could say, well, that's all fine and good to believe. But take your eyes off your order of service for a moment. Look at the world outside your sanctuary. And then tell me that Jesus is Lord and King here, now, today, and forever. I heard an account recently of a New Testament professor at a certain Bible institute, which shall remain nameless and first name only, who said, in response to a guest lecturer espousing this kind of theology, if Jesus is king now, then I want my money back. On one hand, the answer to this objection is almost as obvious as the objection itself. I would never want to be found guilty of the crime of proof texting. But did Jesus not say, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me? What exactly did he mean except that he is now Lord and King? But on the other hand, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think we all at times resonate with that professor's sentiment. If Jesus is king now, then what? Then why did this happen? Why did that happen? Whether we are asking the big questions about war, famine, and genocide, or whether we are asking the more personal questions about lost loved ones, lost jobs, or lost homes. It is hard to look outside these walls and see a world in which Jesus sits enthroned as king. Maybe we too at times would like our money back. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it, Jesus said. It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. You see, Jesus had to redefine his audience's expectations about the kingdom of God. And maybe we need to listen and do the same. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. 
that when planted in the ground becomes a great tree. The kingdom of God is like leaven that leavens the flour of this world until it is all leavened. The kingdom of God is like a field in which wheat and weeds grow together until, to borrow the language of the creed, he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That is at least in part what Jesus said it was going to look like when he became king. We need to listen to him. We need to let Christ the king set the agenda for his kingdom. And then we need to get on board. The collect put it politely. The final petition was this. Bring the whole created order to worship at his feet. But Paul said it like this. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Jesus is reigning now, Paul says, and will continue to do so until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When God is at work in the world, this is what he's doing. Bringing all of the created order, even death itself, into subjection to Christ the King. And again, we need to get on board. So how do we do so? How do we get on board with the work that Christ the King is doing in this world? What part might we play in bringing all things into subjection under his feet? I have a few brief suggestions. First, it is no accident that the prayer that Jesus gave to his followers contains petitions for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We all pray this prayer at least once a week and ideally several times a day. But this repetition at least presents the danger of monotony. We must be sure. We must insist of ourselves that these petitions never become mere recitation. We must struggle within ourselves, or at least I must struggle. I don't want to project my faults on you. But we must struggle within ourselves to let this prayer be exactly what it is, a prayer. We must come before God privately and corporately with the needs and concerns and heartbreaks of this world. And we must not merely say but pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus invites us through this prayer to join him in bringing heaven to earth until one day the two have become one. Second, if we want to know what King Jesus is doing in this world, then I think it stands to reason that we should take another look at the Gospels. For there we see clear examples of God at work in the world. Think for a moment about our Gospel reading for today. Then the King will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned. These are precisely the kinds of things that King Jesus was at work doing in the world. 
This is then, at least in part, what it looks like when God is at work. Do we think he is doing something different now? I suspect that just maybe, where God is at work in the world, where the seed is growing and the leaven is spreading, is actually quite obvious. We just refuse to see it. If so, then we are given a dire warning. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Third, and I am way out of my element here, but I want to say something very briefly about art. I am the quintessential layman when it comes to this topic, um, but as I understand it, at least in a sort of certain extent, um, art has the ability to transform almost sacramentally the objects of this age into objects that more closely resemble objects of the world to come. Art is able not only to give us glimpses and hints and promises of a world renewed and restored in Jesus Christ, but it is, I believe, part of the process of bringing that world into existence. I say that again as someone with zero skill and knowledge in this topic. But as someone who sees the beauty and artistry of what happens here in this worship space, and sees that God is able to use these things to be more than they are, or perhaps to be all that they should be. Jesus said, if it is, Jesus said, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. But I think we could also say, when thorns become a crown, when worshipful breasts become print, when wood becomes an altar, when voices sing together in offertory praise, and when paint becomes a sermon of the new creation at work in the world, then the kingdom of God has come among you. I have said to Joel many times that I find it very difficult to preach without referring to his mural. More than almost anything else in this building, it has a certain power over me. As I stand here looking at it, I know that it will be the object upon which I fix my gaze as I prepare to walk outside this building. What it offers me and what I hope it offers you is an interpretation of the city that lies outside these walls. The mural reminds me that as I walk out these doors, the city I find is one in which the cross of King Jesus is stuck securely in the ground as the world's one true hope of salvation and forgiveness. The city I find is one in which the cross has become the tree of life, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. The city I find is one whose true king and lord is the risen good shepherd, the one who defeats death, the one who pursues to the very end the lost sheep, the outcast, the foreigner, the stranger, the blind, the deaf, the mute, the hungry, the poor, and the prisoner. 
the mural reminds me that by, draw, by drawing on so many great themes of New Testament theology, that the city, the world I find when I walk outside this sanctuary, is a city and world over which Jesus sits enthroned as the world's one and only world, sorry, as the world's one and only Lord, and he is at work. I may not see it. I may at times ask for my money back, but it does not change the truth. The world outside these walls is a world in which Jesus, precisely as King and Lord, is at work. And our King commands him to join him in that labor. If I walk outside today and I don't see it, it's not because the mural is a lie, but because the truth is hard to see. Jesus is King of the whole world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he is at work in the world to bring the whole created order into subjection under his feet, whether I have eyes to see it or not. May our king find us faithful when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Amen.